Hi there, welcome to Stoke to Be Here. My name's Laura and I'm the back half of Stella Tandem, a record-breaking attempt to cycle around the world in 2022 on a tandem bicycle. Um, and this evening I'm joined by Mel Nichols, who is also known as Team Dolly. Um, I, I actually met Mel, oh gosh, it's probably well over a month ago now, um, out on a bike ride where um, I'd actually been following her progress on one of her big adventures this year, which we'll come on to in a bit. Um, and then I was delighted to see that she was out joining um, a young lady called Jessie Stevens, who's a 16 year old girl who cycled to the Glasgow COP conference um, to raise awareness for sustainable travel. And I, I bumped into Mel on this ride and I was very excited to meet her as well as Jessie. And we had a good chat and had a bit of a random route back to, to Birmingham New Street together. And since then, yeah, I've, I've heard and read quite a lot about Mal and all the exciting things she's done. She's had quite a, a varied career in cycling, so um, lots to talk about that. But first of all, hi Mal, how are you doing? Hello, oh, good to be here. <laughs> no, it's great to chat to you again. Um, so yeah, I suppose first and foremost, we should start with a bit of kind of background because um, I think you've you've always been relatively sporty but you've obviously had a few changes and challenges along the way so do you want to start out with with kind of your your background growing up how you know what what you did um in in younger life and then how things have developed since oh yeah gosh where do we go <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah you say I've kind of always been sporty I must yeah I think be sort of in my previous life um and I guess I was mainstream sport um I always had horses from a young age so that was kind of very much my life um and just being outside like I've always loved being outside and adventuring and exploring and you know as a kid then we had fields behind my house so I was always off in the fields or in the woods you know making dens and climbing and just loving being outside um getting on my bike and kind of not really having a plan with my friends and say let's just go off and see where you know the roads literally take us um which was great and then um yeah I mean so sort of out um sports kind of like climbing and kayaking and sort of maybe more uh, adrenaline sports were my thing a little bit um but the horses were the main thing and then it was uh well started in 2001 and then 2000, 2008 um I had a few strokes so that kind of obviously flipped everything uh, around a little bit um, and it was um, time to look at how I could do sport and my sort of love of the outdoors in a different way. Yeah and obviously it's I believe it's more common than a lot of people think to have strokes at a, a relatively young age so you're obviously quite yeah people might think you're exceptional in one ways because of that but I know it is, it is a lot more common than than you might expect but yeah. since then you've you've kind of found ways to get back into sport again so do you just want to just kind of how, how did you first go about kind of making those steps to to getting back into a sporty life yeah so like you say actually yeah strokes in a uh, younger people is a lot more common um I think it's more common in men than it is in women um you know you think of strokes older people and lifestyle smoking you know uh weight and all the rest of it but there's you know many reasons and I sort of didn't tick any of the boxes but you know these these things happen um so actually I think well after my first two strokes um I more or less recovered so I carried on doing what I was doing after you know a fair while recovery but I learned to ski after my first two strokes I was um training for a half marathon just before my last stroke and so I kind of just got on with stuff that way and then after the last one um <clears throat> to be honest when I was in hospital I kind of because I'd had two previously um I was obviously quite annoyed that I had another stroke um but I just thought I'll get better you know I don't know when that'll be but I'll get better and but I wasn't good prepared to sort of sit around and wait for that to happen so you know I loved being active and being outdoors so I started just to look at things um, in my local area to what I could do in the meantime and it happened that um whilst I was in hospital in 2008 uh, the Beijing Paralympics was on tv um you know there wasn't much to do obviously in hospital other than watch tv <laughs> so I remember sort of watching watching the Paralympics and it was the first time it was kind of um came into my mind really and, and I had sort of chance to see these athletes and it just kind of made me think you know that there's always something you can do there's always a sport there's always something to keep active so I just annoyed everybody that was in my area that was running any kind of sport or activity and just said can I come and try this can I try that and I literally you know I tried I think I was on the basketball team wheelchair basketball um fencing we were just fencing uh, adaptive skiing um 
oh, sailing, uh, tennis, like everything I could find and just had a go at it all. Um, when I was younger, I always thought that I'm sure everybody is good at some sport, but we don't get the chance to try it. So actually in parasport, there is, I think there's a lot more chances to just try these sports. Um, so that's what I did, just tried everything. That led on uh, basically wheelchair racing, athletics was one of the sports I tried after a while and um, fell in love with the sport really, but still only saw it as kind of, I couldn't run anymore. I couldn't ride my bike anymore. Um, I walk on crutches or I'm in my wheelchair. So kind of it was the alternative to my nightly runs around the block was to get in my race chair and just, you know, push around the block. Um, but met my, my then or my now coach, um, kind of continued and then, it was 15 months later, um, was selected for Great Britain competing at London 2012. <laughs> wow. And that's, that's, yeah, an epic journey. And I think A, it's, it's great to hear that, yeah, even though you did have two straights, you made such a great recovery and was able to go back. But then mm. when things didn't go quite to plan, there were so many opportunities out there for you. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's easy to assume that yeah being wheelchair bound you'd be really restricted but to hear the range of different activities that you were able to find I think that's that's really yeah really heartening isn't it um, yeah and there's so many people running fantastic projects and clubs and all the rest of it so yeah it, it, it was brilliant um you know I, I, I didn't have the recovery that I'd hoped um but you know by then I was kind of fully into this sport and you just get on with it and you just make the most of, of what you've got so yeah yeah. And I think that's kind of good in some ways because it potentially you, you tried a lot of different sports, maybe you wouldn't have otherwise too, which I, I think I is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I was better than others. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It's good to get out of your comfort zone, isn't it? Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you, so you, you've actually competed in both the London and Rio Paralympics. Um, I think mm -hmm. you were finalist in both those events. I was, yeah. 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 Um, and that that's um, wheelchair racing, which just, yeah, to me is just mind blowing to have gone from zero to here in 15 months, as you say, is just, yeah, epic. Yeah, it was a um, bit of a whirlwind by the least. I mean, I wasn't obviously on the British team. I was a complete outsider um, to get selected. And um, that was my first um, international competition, my first time representing Great Britain, you know, so I started, started at the top. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just the most incredible experience and to have London as my first games as well I was I was so so lucky that's just amazing and it, you know it's amazing that you had that opportunity because yeah I just I've, I've, the Olympics to me are just so far away from anything it's it must yeah, have been they were for me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and um, what was what was that kind of like on a, a day to day basis you say you found a coach and you obviously must have had a training plan but was was that like you know were you fully involved training every day was it quite a lot of workload were you working at that point was it something you had to factor around a job or was it just something you're able to go like full health or leather at yeah um 20 end of 2010 2011 when I started and I was working um part-time as a teaching assistant in a local primary school um so I was working right up until and whilst I was at London um so to work around that, I mean, luckily, because I was doing that part time, because I was kind of still in recovery uh, from my last stroke. Um, but I just I love having a purpose and a focus. And it gave me that. So to to my you know, my coach is brilliant. And, and to have this kind of goal and he kind of had an idea of kind of you know where I was heading um, to have this training program and just every day know what I had to do and just push that that's what suited me um, so, yeah, it was hard. Of course it was. You know, you've got a six days a week training. Um, so uh, race chair sessions, gym sessions, all the rest of it, um, but uh, making sure you know, I was eating properly, um, making sure that I was going to bed at decent times, you know, all the things that you've got to do around sport. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just sounds like amazing events and amazing opportunities. But after Avria, you kind of moved on from then um, and changed discipline a bit um, to move to a hand cycle. Um, mm which yeah I've, I must admit you know that's what you're riding when I met you on the ride and that that is one very very cool machine um so it's um for anybody that doesn't know it's kind of like a recumbent bike so it's set quite low to the ground um you can sit down and pedal with with both hands on it um and what what was involved in that switch how did you get embroiled in this world of kind of long distance and endurance and adventure oh, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, with wheelchair racing, I was a track racer. So I um, started out as a sprinter. <laughs> um, so, so to be honest, I'd rather do a thousand miles than a hundred meters any day. <laughs> mm -hmm, um, yeah. so middle, middle distance. Um, I'd got the world record for 1500 meters, but sadly that wasn't a distance at the Paralympics. Um, so my longest distance was 800 meters. And I knew coming into Rio that I'd kind of, I loved going longer um I love racing on the road um I wanted to race marathons and I couldn't do that in athletics whilst um I was obviously middle distance uh, funded as middle distance racer um so I kind of came out of Rio um left the team just because there's not a classification with Paralympics uh, sport then you've got to be classified for your event um and there's not enough in my class doing marathons so I race marathons in my wheelchair my race chair um around the world but I compete as an open so kind of that was my first I suppose step back into endurance um and the bike uh when I was actually had a shoulder injury after London and I was out of my race chair and I was in the gym on a static like ham crank bike. And I, again, you know, I don't like being inside. So I kind of, that's when I sort of found out really about hand cycles. And I asked my physio, um, I said, you know, can I get a hand bike as, as rehab rather than sort of sitting in the gym? Um, and she agreed as long as I didn't race it. <laughs> so I didn't straight away. <laughs> so that's how I kind of got my first bike. Uh, and it meant, you know, I was just sort of doing um, going on the track and just doing my rehab really um so it meant that I could be outside and I loved it you know I've always loved cycling um I never really did much other than kind of uh, getting getting from A to B on the road um I loved my mountain bike which I've still got upstairs because I can't can't get rid of it um, <laughs> and I love just going off and exploring just getting on the bike you know going down the trails so to have that sort of the next level of, of freedom really on my bike and you know, I felt I could take it so much further than my race chair um, and it was kind of my downtime but it was, it was also cross training it was also rehab you know so much more um, and I, I did race it on the odd occasion whilst I was still with athletics I do like national um, time trial and stuff like that did quite well so it was always in my mind that whilst I could I'd be keen to see kind of where I'd go with that so that was part of the move then after I came um, off Rio to go on to the um, Great Britain cycling team got selected and talent transferred across there so yeah started racing for GB uh with with uh, British Cycling um I I left the team after a couple of years just because I was basically I was due to have some heart surgery that I needed to get sorted you know my health had to come first which it's got to hasn't it so it was kind of time for me to sort of step away sort that and I had lots of other projects in mind um like these even longer distances <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's kind of yeah once I kind of got my heart sorted out um, and got recovered from that then that was kind of the the next focus really where can I take this hand cycling that's you know a bit a bit more than the time trials or the the sort of quite flat road races that I've been doing the sort of two hours tops kind of thing um yeah and that's where we got to yeah and um yeah as you say like bicycles of, of any form are such great enablers it's uh, yeah I think it's a lot of people get the book because it's like how far can you go and you know it just um broadens broadens your horizons doesn't it so, so they are wonderful things yeah. um and yeah as I say I think the hand cycle you know it looks like an epic machine um and I suppose tandem bicycles as well you know we're classed as special bikes <laughs> um and they have their own quirks and, and differences too um and I just you know I just wondered with the hand cycle what kind of you know because you've obviously been a, a, a bike rider as well in your past what kind of differences do you see I mean one thing I noticed riding with you which would be similar to riding a tandem is they seem not to go quite as fast uphill but seem to pick up going downhill for example so what kind of differences are there that you find if you are riding with people on on kind of normal uprights as it were yeah like I say uphill is is definitely slower um and downhill is definitely faster <laughs> they know they're, they're heavier but they're a lot more aero as well being um, so low and recumbent um <clears throat> I imagine similar to the tandem as well um sort of if you're having to turn the bike around it's not so easy <laughs> you yeah. know I kind of have these kind of hilarious you know 20 point turns if I've got to sort of turn around in the road <clears throat> or um excuse me <clears throat> you know going through um railings or stuff like that on bike paths you know I tend to avoid bike paths because a lot of them aren't that accessible I mean luckily uh, particularly if I manage to pack uh, my crutches on the back of the bike then I can get up and I can maneuver it around but of course it's a pain having to get off and do that um so any kind of railings or bollards or gates or anything like that is is a bit of a pain um and trying to sort of get around things just because it's 
about two meters long. Um, the, the turning is on the sort of the forks on the crank, which is very, very minimal with my legs sort of stuck out the front. So um, it hasn't got that much maneuverability. And if, I, if it's loaded up with kit, then obviously it's really heavy as well. Me trying to sort of push off on my arms. Um, because I'm so low, um, you kind of have to look either side of the cranks rather than sort of looking straight ahead of you. I do tend to ride, I've got a little mirror, so I tend to ride through my mirror quite a lot just to, I, I find it's kind of more important to know the things behind me have seen me rather than know what's in front of me because everybody hopefully is going in the same direction um, in that way. But yeah, I tend to ride, kind of see who's coming behind. So um, vision is just different from see riding stand bike um i think i get a lot wetter and a lot muckier <laughs> because i'm like four inches off the ground and when it's raining and it's mucky roads it is filthy you know the water comes off the front wheel and just comes down like a fountain and fills up my lap <laughs> um just absolutely so mucky um I think it almost feels faster. Uh, I think because I'm so low to the ground, I think, yeah, if, if you're ever ridden like a go-kart when you're a kid or a skateboard, I used to sort yeah. of sit on my skateboard going down hills. It's a bit like that. It's, it's great fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it does look amazing. And then one thing, yeah, and notice about is because um, you are that low to the ground, you get all the attention from all the dogs every time you start. They just think yes, you're amazing. I, yeah. <laughs> I thought Sometimes that was really cool. Bit are they going to eat me or are they just going to come and lick me? <laughs> seconds, it's all good. And <laughs> yes. um, um, one very specific question. Um, obviously on a, on a bike, you have your, um, I don't, I've forgotten how you, you, you say it now. It's, it's like your pedals are offset concentrically. Yeah. Whereas on the hand cycle, you move both hands kind of at the same time. They're, they're both set at the same place on the, I suppose it's the wheel, isn't it? But yeah, is there a reason for that? Does it, you know, is it, what's the biomechanics behind that? If, if a lot of people ask me that, it's funny. Yeah. I think because like, the, the ones in the sort of static hand static or hand crank machines in the gym tend to be like one than the other, don't they? Yeah. Um, and which someone actually made a comment last, only last week why they think that is something to do with sailing. I can't remember. Anyway, but uh, so on the hand cycle, um, yeah, I yeah. think. Partly because uh, the the fork is also the where you steer from. So if you had one than the other, you'd end up snaking down the road. So obviously that wouldn't be very efficient. I also think getting up hills is really hard, and I think having to do one arm than the other would be even harder. So I think it's that kind of action of you say if you're doing like um, a row pull or something in the gym, like both arms together, you've got that bigger force. But I think trying to do one than the other, I think it will be a lot harder. But also mainly, yeah, steering. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. No, I, I did wonder. So yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, going back to well, um, yeah, your your bigger and and um, adventures. I mean, it's a brief aside. Before you did that, you you had um, quite a, a independent and exciting trip out to the Faroe Isles, and I was actually watching some of your videos recently. Oh, we um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that just looked amazing. I mean, that's that looked like the most epic adventure because you, you just went off with your tent and braved the Incredible. whole lot, as it were. Um, and I don't know much about the kind of the mechanics of, of hand cycles. I mean, tandems, I know, have a few um, few quirks because they've got a crossover and, and um, they've often got kind of a, a differently built back wheel and things like that um, but how did you say so how did you kind of find the confidence to go out and just have that adventure and were you worried about mechanicals for example um, did you have a backup plan if the bike broke because it's not like you can just pick up a hand cycle at, at every Halfords <laughs> I, yeah I guess the Faroe Islands had kind of been on my mind uh, for quite a few years and it was just one of those places that every now and again it kind of something popped up and you know that kind of bug that's just there and it's like I just they're just calling you know I, I want to explore and the more I tried to find out about them also almost the the, the least I knew and it was just drawing me in and um, you know I, I contacted sort of um, contacts on, on the islands and sort of tourist board and and everyone sort of said oh it's not set up for cycling you know for any cycling you shouldn't come here and cycle but something was like well there's no reason why it shouldn't be um so I guess it was just that let's let's go and see you know um obviously 18 islands up in the the North Atlantic um knew that I could fly into the first island had no idea even how I was going to get to the next island all I knew that it was linked by a subsea tunnel <laughs> didn't know if could cycle through this tunnel um as it happened I got there got through the first island and think probably 
well, most of the people when I asked said, no, you can't cycle through the tunnel. But one person said, yes, you can. And that was enough. So uh, so headed down with my my bike that weighed about 15, 15 kilos of my old bike, uh, aluminium bike. My kit, I think at the time, weighed about 30 kilos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really think that this subsea tunnel, because it was subsea, you know, under the sea, um, it was 240. 60 meters or something under the seabed it was five miles long and for some reason I didn't sort of register that I it would be obviously down so um I, I set my bike up you know as best as I could um I had like a dynamo on the on the front wheel um a sort of a newer style of dynamo but like like the old-fashioned one when it kind of like goes on the side um and that was charging my lights and it happened that I was going down I just must have gone so fast into this tunnel that it, my front light exploded <laughs> so <laughs> so you know, five miles I think I think I got to halfway at this point so two and a half miles down um just going at such speed uh thankfully I had a few more lights around me that uh, to keep me lit up but you know it was this the only way through to the islands so I had um all the big lorries coming through that had come from the the fishing harbour and it was just very busy um yeah luckily actually I'd, I'd met a guy pre uh, earlier on on the trip um and he knew that I was going to go through the tunnel this day so he'd come to the entrance of the tunnel in this little tiny little car like the smallest car you've ever seen um and said oh you know I've just sort of come to make sure you're right and I and I do you want me to to follow you or anything and I said oh no don't worry but leave it a bit and then you know when you cycle when you drive through um and it was quite handy so when he did drive through and he said oh you're okay and I was like well I am but I've you know I've just blown my lights up so do you mind waiting the other side because I've got another tunnel to do um but of course then to get back out I'd gone two and a half miles down and I had to go two and a half miles back up which took a long time <laughs> but he was there waiting and uh, we put my bike in the back of the smallest car in the world <laughs> he got me through the next oh, tunnel <laughs> he was a superstar <laughs> so yeah I mean I was lucky with the bike um no major mechanicals obviously punctures um obviously lights exploding but I had some spare lights um I think I was running yes I was running di2 actually at the time which did decide to kind of have a bit of a moment and reset itself but I managed to sort that out so that was lucky um and I just went with the you know it was kind of what's what's possible um going you know, beyond barriers like, I've got to go there I've got to see I've got to see if I can get through this tunnel I've got to see if I get to the next island um you know they say it's not set up just because nobody has ever done it doesn't mean it can't be done um so I think that was the sort of first thing that really you know really really pushed me out of my comfort zone um, I mean the weather was wild it doesn't rain I think three days a year in the Fair Islands so it's guaranteed <laughs> to be wet um, which has set me up for a lot of my adventures ever since um, the wind is just just mad um, they have like nine different words for fog because there's that many types of fog <laughs> on the Fair Islands and when it comes in it just comes in so fast I mean I had a couple of days where I was literally stuck in a hut because it was not safe to get out which was really frustrating um, but I learned so so much from from that from that trip um, and as always happens on these challenges you know people kind of came together and the community and were there when I needed them and yeah it was amazing um totally recommend and there's not that many islands I'm uh, sorry not that many roads on the islands um but what roads there are are just perfect they're so, such good quality because there's not much traffic then no not many people cycle there at all and no hand cyclists ever cycle there but I would thoroughly recommend <laughs> getting out there and uh, exploring <laughs> that's that's definitely gone gone on the bucket list <laughs> and then just to add to everything else we have planned but yeah and uh, yeah actually your videos make the weather look a lot better than than it, it probably was but that's probably because when it was pouring down he couldn't get the camera out but yeah, yeah. well they have um, the, uh, say that um this saying which is, happens you know a lot everywhere but certainly it's a, a quite a well-known fairy sailing saying uh which means if you don't like the weather wait five minutes and exactly what it was you know because you're <laughs> no more than 3k i think from the sea so it just changes so quickly so as quick as the really really awful weather will come in you suddenly you know you've got blue skies again and, and it's just yeah constantly changing within you know an hour you get everything oh it does sound we had 15 minutes one day that was sunny it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah you went through, like a massive adventure like that and then in 2019 you went and got the world record for the um end-to-end -end of Britain on a hand mm -hmm. cycle what uh, what kind of possessed the move from just going about and having fun on adventures to going and breaking a world record <laughs> <laughs> well 
I wanted to try and kind of bring together um, <clears throat> my sort of performance side. So my racing, obviously hand soccer racing and, and that kind of just that building a team. So being part of the British team. Um, and then I kind of wanted to build a team around me and then my love for adventure. So using what I'd learned from the Fair Islands, um, you know, the weather certainly stood me in good stead for that particular challenge, <laughs> even though it was in June. Um, so to kind of bring, yeah, that find that point between, I guess, real raw adventure and performance so I needed you know a performance target and I just kind of thought you know what could that be and Land's End John O'Groats or John O'Groats of Land's End um I never really it was not something I was like I've got to go and do it um but then I kind of I thought well you know it's iconic isn't it it's just kind of that British yeah icon of, of roots of races however you want to do it and it just seemed to make sense to me and I love Britain obviously I've represented Great Britain um and so that was it so I thought right that is the challenge this is my adventure um it was very much yeah set up as a obviously a performance challenge I was out there to break the world record um but actually, and the route, you know, it had to be the world record route or the, you know, the fastest, the flattest, which of course was the main roads. It wasn't the most scenic route, but it was amazing that um, even though that was the case and I was going down, you know, dual carriage roads like the A30, the A9, which wasn't my favourite, um, and all those sort of ones <laughs> going through like the cities like Wolverhampton, Wigan and was it the W Warrington, um, because you're still riding the bike, even though I'm, you know, I'm racing it as fast as I can, I'm still riding a bike and I'm still taking th those um, it's not kind of like half an hour time trial, it's all day, every day. So what you see, the beauty, even in these kind of really built up areas, is this industrial areas, the kind of main, main roads was amazing. And that really, really got to me actually, that um, it was great and it was this race, but the kind of beauty in the, the grass verges or the roundabouts or all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so actually there was still a massive element of adventure, um, a real rawness to it as there was the performance side of it. Yeah, I think there's something for seeing the world at the speed of a bicycle. And yeah. we, we had a bit more of a leisurely amble from <laughs> London to John O'Groats last year now um, on the tandem. But yeah, yeah, just to see how the country changes and yeah, just to see the whole process is, yeah, I, I understand what you, you can, mean. can't you? Yeah. See, as you kind of border to border, it really does change, like from Cornwall to Devon to Somerset. It really, yeah, it's amazing how it just looks as it should in these different areas. <laughs> Yeah, and you obviously did that. You had kind of a crew and the support and every, everything like that. Um, and you kind of had a, a I say, film crew, but you, you had it filmed along the way as well, which is, I believe, dream built big. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of binging on all these sorts of films at the moment because we would really like to get some footage around the world too. Um, so I'm wondering how you found it kind of being filmed along the way. And, you know, was that kind of... A, another extra thing to think about, another extra thing to do, or or have you got any kind of thoughts or tips or tricks about that? Um, do you know what? It was, it, it felt really quite natural. Um, I think Friction Collective, who are the guys, I kind of got in, they got in touch with me a, a few months beforehand, um, actually sort of found me through social media and just liked, just, they didn't obviously know what I was planning at the time, but just liked kind of my, you know, mini adventures going off and doing these sort of challenges or whatever it was, as well, the lifestyle and wanted to come do something with me. Um, so when we got in touch, I told them what I was planning and they said, oh, we'll do a, um, a short film um, to sort of before I was going to do the challenge, basically, you know, around it and why and that sort of thing and a bit about kind of um, where it all come from. Um, so I think working with them for that and then we sort of kept in touch, it was really good. So we were... <clears throat> we were on that level it wasn't sort of intimidating having a camera you know pointed at me or all that sort of stuff um the guys you know they felt like and they are my friends now so that was really nice that it, yeah it wasn't intimidating at all um also that the fact that they are uh, adventure cyclists themselves so they kind of get it you know they know how it all works they know when to stay away maybe or, <laughs> or when not to. um there was <clears throat> as you uh, may have seen like in the film there was instances that I was in a bit of a bad way, but I was like, I actually said to them, come in, you know, it's important to kind of share those. So I think it's quite good that any kind of filming guys um, understand what you're doing and the pressures you're on and, and that sort of thing. Um, and equally, you know, you want to tell a story. So you want them to see the tough times as hard as it is. I think it's really important. And I think had I not kind of let them see those, I think I would have regretted that, you know, that um, you've got to, yeah, you've got to show the realness of it all. I think that's really important um and just they just had a, a way of working that in a way I didn't kind of 
they, I guess they, they just were part of it. It wasn't sort of um, extra or it wasn't enforced or anything like that. It just happened really naturally. You know, a lot of it, um, Jack would be on his bike and sort of filming and chatting. It was just like having conversations. So um, yeah, very lucky with the, with the film guys. I think that I worked with for that. Yeah, and no, it's 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 a great little watch. So yeah, I think I could thoroughly recommend Thank you. it. They did a great job. <laughs> I was really worried though about it, how I was gonna come yeah, across. Like yeah. I think we all social media is a great job of you putting out your best life and yeah. all that. Um and then of course when you're out on these these challenges and you're you're looking particularly tired, rough, filthy, all the rest of it. Um and, and I just thought, oh, and I'm gonna come across, you know just kind of I don't know a Mardi athlete or whatever it is when you're on these challenges um but yeah I think they did a great job bless them <laughs> no that's great um and and then obviously just riding from one end of the country wasn't enough for you was it, <laughs> it wasn't do, you, do you want to kind of describe what you what you did next <laughs> Yes, I mean, Lanza de la Grotes, yeah, I absolutely loved it. It was wonderful. Um, actually, yeah, I went quicker than I planned, <laughs> which is a good thing because, you know, yeah. I took more time off the world record. Um, and I thought that when I got to John and Grotes, then, then I wouldn't want to ride my bike for a long time. I'd want to get off. And the last day, actually, I was really, really sad because I did not want to stop riding. You know, I could if I could have carried on, I would, but I'd run out of land. You know, there was sea. That was it. <laughs> so I knew that the next thing I wanted to, I wanted to go further. Um, I had originally planned um, last year, which you know, nothing happened last year, and then moved to this year, that maybe it was going to be something out of Britain. But I just felt, even though some areas were opening up, um, I wasn't comfortable. It wasn't the right time for me um, to sort of move away. So I kind of thought, well, what else can I can I do in Britain? Um, you know, Britain is such an amazing place. Um, there's so much to explore on this little island. And I kind of figured, well, I've gone up it. Um, the only logical thing to do will be go around it. <laughs> so that's what I planned. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, you basically you circumnavigated um, the whole of <laughs> Britain, Bakersfield um, Island as well. But so I believe it's seven thousand kilometres in total. Yeah. Well, so trying to plan it yeah it kind of I think the maximum is like 7,700 kilometers so um yeah but over 4,000 miles but obviously until we kind of you're on it um that's there's, there's like so many roads that are like dead end roads so you'll go down you have to come back so kind of and my route was quite dynamic depending what I was faced with was on the route so until I kind of finished then I didn't know obviously how far it was going to be so it wasn't quite the uh, 7,700 um but it was over 4,000 miles <clears throat> so yeah nearly 7,000 I think kilometers um, I was going for the world record for the furthest journey by hand cycle, uh, which I broke. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I kind of thought about um, around the coast of Britain for a long time, but there's a lot of reason. Well, there's yeah, a lot of people don't do it for the reason that it's really hard and it's really hilly. Um, I kind of thought doing sort of London to John O'Groats, if I went kind of the coastal route or particularly the, the first bit would be really hard because the, obviously usually coastal roads are just narrow short sharp which are just not great I don't know what it's like for on a tandem but on a handbike um, <laughs> yeah they're tough slow <laughs> to say the least <laughs> um but that yeah so it was a huge challenge and when I started it um I went, had, went clockwise so I went out of Gloucestershire into Wales um didn't actually start on the coast so made it a little bit harder for myself um and uh I suddenly you know the first well even the first day I thought oh my goodness this is so much bigger so much harder than I, I imagined um, totally solo self-supported this time so no team carrying on my kit um, which you know I'd done a bit of in the Fair Islands but again very very different to be doing week after week after week um, and yeah the hills were really tough um, and, and it was definitely a, a bigger job um, so yeah but but huge and and I, I think when I was in Wales uh, I kind of thought well if I can get through Wales then that's going to be a huge achievement uh, so when I actually got through the coast of Wales I was so so happy and then yeah carried on and finished it <laughs> yeah and it's just it's just amazing and I, I feel like we're you know still kind of all coming together because it's been so recent that you, you came back wasn't it Which, what was your your finish um date again you can even remember <laughs> yeah when uh, mm. 23rd of October something like that yeah so it's still really fresh isn't it so yeah yeah, yeah definitely so just I'm slowly coming back to real life <laughs> the other life <laughs> whichever real life is there is that question isn't there but yeah <laughs> congratulate because it's an epic achievement and obviously that's kind of as close um to the kind of things we're considering as well as much as we've never never done a, a 4,000 mile ride um 
but you, but the thing is what's so beautiful about it is just you know I, I kind of get in a way that I, I think if I look at a map I can see and I can obviously have my um, my tracker on so I can see this red line that, that's linked up that I've gone around Britain but I just rode my bike every day which is kind of what I do anyway and that's the brilliant thing you know I kind of I looked where I could have the equivalent to where I could have gone had I gone you know out of uh, UK and I think I've ridden the equivalent to the Sea of Japan from home which is amazing like well of course that's that's possible then and there's no reason why you can't just carry on you just keep riding you know you just get up get on your bike ride a bit further and the next day the same do the same and I just think yeah the like you said the bike bikes are fantastic and you can literally go anywhere as far as you want <laughs> just keep riding yeah no definitely that, that's that's hopefully how it'll pan out for us it's just that sustainability and getting on the bike every day yeah. putting the miles in and and keeping it all ticking along but with the background you've got because yeah obviously being a power athlete and you'd having a coach and all the training do you still bring that all into these endurance rides because you know so many people that disappear off on into the world on a bicycle and kind of mooch around the world for five years but that's quite different from having a, a set goal and having a set pace so how much do you bring in kind of like the um skills you've got from training and having coaches and cross training and things like that as well yeah I do I mean yeah I'm an athlete and I am very much performance sort of driven um so I, yeah, I did train um I trained for everything I trained hard for, for this one a um, bit different in the way you know just sort of working as well so trying to balance um work obviously and, and um and training as well not being a full-time athlete um I, I think on the challenge uh, there was always that kind of almost battle in my brain that obviously I'm going for the world record I also wanted to be um the fastest which I was um hand cyclist to a race around Britain um I think I was the first solo and supported as well um so there's those kind of performance targets but at the same time I'm having the most amazing time and I'm meeting amazing people and I've sort of seen places or stopped at various places um you know for a, a quick photo or whatever and going oh but I'd love to spend longer here so it's really hard like balancing that enjoying the moment and and taking it all in than just like race 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 which is, is you know what I'm kind of feel like is ingrained in me um I hadn't planned on taking any rest days when uh, when I planned around Britain I don't know whether that was the right thing or not um but you know 75 days um I did take a, a few rest days it was more when um I kind of met up with friends and they kind of locked me in a room and said you know you can't even you don't make sense you you're not can't even string a sentence together you can't give me a, an answer you need a rest <laughs> but I think it took them to be able to make that happen um because I was kind of like I'm not moving forward you know I need to get on I need to make more miles I need to race I need to get closer to my goal um so I, th I think being that kind of minded has its advantages and possibly disadvantages as well so it's yeah I'm not quite sure where that happy medium place is at the minute um but yeah using all my my skills so whether it's a lot of kind of um uh, mindset and and sports psychology kind of work that I've done over the past uh, a lot of that because uh, as you know endurance and ultra endurance so much a mental game huge huge mental game you know your body can be in pieces but your mind can be stronger and you will carry on and you will and having that kind of armory you know a selection of things to turn to um and and perhaps not knowing what that is and practicing it beforehand and having it so like right you know the weather's awful what do I need to turn to is it music is it um you know mantras is it whatever it is kind of thing to to be able to do that and to be really strong-minded um the physical side obviously you know following a training plan um working out your nutrition all those sort of stuff um yeah lots of it you know just bringing in the kind of I suppose the resilience that I've learned from the the more sort of wilder adventures and the, and the solo stuff um and then the performance stuff of looking after yourself like you say you've just got to keep riding your bike every day but you've got to make sure you can do that so for me you know my biggest concern was injury you know if my shoulders just I mean I'd never obviously never ridden that far before you know um lands on John O'Groats was was six days something so it was a bit different to 75 days um so I didn't know if my shoulders or my elbows or whatever else could carry on so get in them as strong as possible before I started and just looking after them looking after my body looking after my health as best as I could um on challenge was really important yeah, I mean, wow, that was, <laughs> I think you just summed up everything we need to do for, for our trip <laughs> in, in, in um, yeah, well, not there, but yeah, I you know, I think you, you're completely right. I mean, Stevie's kind of taught me that, um, and, and other people as well, that even if you just want to tour on your bike, you should 
train to tour you know even if you don't plan on going 100 miles an hour the fitter you are the easier it will make it and yeah as, as you kind of in, imply that if you put in the background effort it it keeps you ticking along on the road and yeah we are very conscious that recovery mindset keeping ourselves healthy in body and mind is going to be the absolutely key because yeah if otherwise yeah. it's just not going to be sustainable and we'll probably and you know you will have those really dark times oh, yeah. you know you will like well what do I need to do when I'm there kind of thing before sort of lands and John O'Groats and I kind of put myself in positions where like basically I made myself suffer because it was important that I knew I could and I knew how to get myself out of it you know whether it's going out with without any food on a, a training ride or was always pushing over the target I had or going out and make, making sure I got cold and wet that sort of thing just you know putting yourself out of your comfort zone so that then you just sort of grew and, and and as much as people say that when you start these big challenges you know you kind of get into it and you do you know you certainly sort of condition you know you can't train for well most people can't train for these uh, you know to go out and do 100 plus miles every day because we've got lives you know you, you just don't have the time to do that um so a lot of it yeah you do condition I know my first sort of couple of weeks or certainly the first week was like wow it's a bit of a this is this is tough um and you get used to it but being in the best place you can to start with you know whether it's yeah, the nutrition, the health, um, your, your strength, your fitness, everything, do the, everything you can do. And then the rest of it will sort of come along as you go. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, I think um, as being part of, of an organisation called Audax provides enough of the, the dark and trying times in the middle of the <laughs> yeah, night. So. <laughs> and yeah, we, we certainly do seem to have a knack for putting ourselves in those sort of situations. And then we just have to hope we don't fall out along the way. So. <laughs> Um, well as long as you've got a plan to what you're gonna when you do then that's fine we usually work our way through it one way or the other <laughs> not like you can sort of go off cycling you know for on your own is it for an hour yeah, exactly. it's not like yeah and I, I have done that on all of that before i've just ridden off my solo bike and left to see and then like, i'm not talking to you but it doesn't quite work like that on a tandem but no. <laughs> tend, i think it makes our resolve our differences uh, a lot quicker that way because yeah <laughs> otherwise it's yeah, you have to, not going to happen <laughs> amazing um so you mentioned yeah obviously with the, the situation of the past couple of years that you potentially would have gone abroad traveled further afield what what's have you got a, a plan and if because if you're anything like me you've probably got more ideas than you could possibly ever fulfill but it is <laughs> <Always> <laughs> uh, where do you think you go next will it be traveling abroad will it be breaking more records what might be on the horizon I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm, I love adventure and I love performance. So it's still kind of find that happy medium. Um, you know, obviously I'm so pleased with how Race Around Britain went and to have completed it and to have obviously, um, you know, broken the record coming through and all the rest of it. But just being the kind of person I am, I suppose I sort of look back and go, oh, I wish I'd have gone faster or I wish I'd have, you know, but with everything considering and, and carrying on my kit and, and yeah, just everything, I kind of, you can't be 100% every kind of aspect um so I think I mean over the last two years a lot had happened and I think uh I wasn't quite sure I think confidence wise I wasn't quite sure where I was I wasn't quite sure if I could still I suppose um perform on that kind of performance level um so yeah doing what I've doing the race around Britain has certainly given me a lot more confidence back which is great I know that I can still ride my bike a long way which is good um so I kind of uh next year I want to go back and do a bit more racing I still want to keep that adventure side of stuff and I want to keep the ultra endurance sort of ultra side of stuff um so I, I am looking to I mean February I'm planning to go hopefully if we're allowed um out of uh the UK and race some mainstream ultra races so um oh, some 24 wow. hour races so a bit shorter <laughs> but yeah full-on kind of racing which is really exciting so that's what I'm training for at the moment um and then next summer I'd love to again to looking at kind of being part of more yeah mainstream um ultra stuff probably self-supported still um but actually being part of an event rather than kind of building it myself um which is always interesting because obviously hand cycles potentially are slower um but then they've got other advantages you know like the tandem so um be interesting to kind of just you know I'm very much about um showing what's possible and, and encouraging other people you know whatever those barriers are and and whether it's you know the the different bikes or or whatever it is kind of there's no reason why we can't do 
whatever it is you're after you know whatever kind of bike event or whatever challenge or just pushing that pushing that possible so I will keep doing that in then every area I, I can and then hopefully get more people involved oh that sounds amazing and yeah I can't wait to see what you you get up to next and hopefully <laughs> I'll be following you while we're around the world as well to see but yeah there's there's more and more ultra endurance events out there so I'm sure you've got plenty to choose from um yeah so just before um, I kind of uh, finish off and let you get on with your evening, I've got a little bit of tandem trivia for you. <laughs> oh, I know, it's not too bad, I promise. Um, so usually my, my first question is, is, have you ever ridden a tandem? Um, but I was thinking about this and it led me on to a whole load more questions of, is there such a thing as a tandem hand cycle? And there's certainly tandems, um, I don't know if you know the Pinots that have got like the recumbent on the front but, and bits and bobs like that. So. I suppose, yeah, my question is, have you ever ridden a tandem and are you aware of any hand cycle tandem mixes? <laughs> Interestingly, I had this conversation only a few hours ago today. <laughs> Someone asked the same question. <laughs> I think because I was talking about you to him and he was like, ah. is there such thing as a hand cycle tandem? <laughs> um, so I believe that it kind of is as a tandem where you, the front person at the front rides like normal mm -hmm. and then the, then the back of it is a hand cycle because apparently also um which I have been so you can have like a front sort of standard you know where the pedals are, and the cranks are beneath you and then at the back you can have like a recumbent style leg powered one so you've got that but then obviously you've got that that but with a hand cycle in the back as well um which I was going to ask you about actually because he also showed me a photo um I'm not sure oh it was a, an, an ice trike um I don't know if you know the ice trikes so a tandem ice trike and I thought he was having me on because the person at the back faces backwards. Yes. The person at the front. I've seen yes. these. I think it was at the tandem <laughs> shop, actually. I think they've got one. And yeah. Like, how random, but amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how it would feel about, you know, facing backwards and be hand cycling, um, particularly if something's, you know, coming towards you from the back and the person at the front, you're like, quick, go faster. <laughs> <laughs> we like facing the wrong way on a train wouldn't yeah. it no I, I, I'm not yeah I, I think I saw one and I was not keen on the idea of like looking at what's coming towards you I think it would just feel no, like no. very, very <laughs> but no as have I ever ridden one no I haven't I think no I definitely haven't no <laughs> But I'd like to. <laughs> oh, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite keen to do maybe like a cargo bike adventure, and you know, and I just sit in the in the, the cargo at the bike, the little bucket in the front. That'd be quite good. Oh, that'd be quite cool. Yeah, <laughs> similar to what the adventure syndicate did. But yeah, you you yes. never swap in and do any yeah. of the cycling. You just sit there and. But yeah, that yeah, maybe I wouldn't like that actually. I'd like to do something. Yeah. <laughs> I'd quite like to have a hand cycle cargo bike and then do some sort of delivering and stuff that would be quite good that's quite a cool idea yeah oh all these options amazing. <laughs> <Those> ideas. <laughs> um and yeah kind of working on that so i suppose if you were to ride a tandem of a normal tandem hand cycle tandem, who would you put on your tandem with you and it could be anybody that could be alive dead fictional whatever <laughs> oh who would go on my tandem that is a very good question. <laughs> that, hmm. Okay, then I'm going to flip it back on you. If it wasn't Steve, who would go on your tandem? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Nobody's done that yet. I've had all sorts of <laughs> Gives me more time to think. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, I probably, I'd probably pick somebody, you know, quite exciting like Mark Bowman or Jenny Graham or something. I was like going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, kind of, he knows, yeah, he knows his way around bikes and you know, long distance cycling, and that'd be quite good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or I would have to mix it up a bit, so I'd have to have the hand cycle bit at the front, and I'd have my friend Steve Bate, who is a VI tan a Paralympic tandem racer. So he's very good on tandems. He obviously sits in the back. Um, so that would work really well too. Yeah, no, that's, he, that's, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then um, Stevie and I often say we're joined by the frame on the tandem. Um, when you're out adventuring and riding and everything, is there anything you are joined by the frame to? Is there anything you can't do without, be it a bit of a creature comfort or a bit of kit or an item of food? Is there anything that, that comes with you pretty much everywhere? 
Um, I would normally always say Earl Grey tea bags. <laughs> I don't go anywhere oh, without cool. my tea bags. <laughs> yeah, always, always. Um, I actually, yeah, I did run out on a race around Britain and I kind of, I learned to just cope without it. And I think actually the thing that I then gained, which I couldn't do without, was my mascot, my adventure dog. So I found him a little... Um, uh cuddly toy that was on the side of the road coming out of Dover um and by that point um obviously quite a long way into the journey and I really needed someone to come along so uh to have this little dog on the back and he sort of sat at the back with his ears flapping and when the weather got really rubbish or we we're flying down a hill and and um he was um uh, Pluto from um like Disney as well oh, so yeah. I go right Pluto and we'd have conversation obviously it was quite a warm conversation but <laughs> <laughs> in my head there was two, two of us talking um so he was great company and I pretty sure now every bike adventure he's coming along so he he's actually more important than tea bags wow and yeah that, that's actually a strong <laughs> point there because normally or previously it's been a while now but when i've traveled abroad i've always taken tea bags with me because it's not quite yeah. abroad. Um, <laughs> so i think it had crossed my mind it's like do i really want to car carry that many tea bags like probably not i probably i know i think i'll get some tea somewhere along the way so that's probably excessive yeah. to carry tea but um I kind of figured there was more important things yeah but we have yeah we're kind of we've had a few that we've got some little ducks that um are like little bike lights as well that are quite cute we've had one of those oh. in the tandem um and it, it therefore functions as a bell as well because there's the squeaky ducks so yeah. oh that's brilliant <laughs> but they're quite fun to have along so me and Steve both of us considering there's two people on a bike that could interact normally we both end up talking to the duck <laughs> And so I think potentially, just so we don't end up having to talk to each other all the way around the world, we might need some sort of mascot just to vary the conversation a bit. If you have a fallout, you can like talk through the talk duck. Through the duck, yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's so good. Yeah, I mean, I talk to the sheep and the cows and you know all the sort of wildlife, obviously the dogs and everything that I pass. And yeah, they've got to be someone. But I think. Yeah, having my kind of little um, mascot just yeah made everything so much brighter and so yeah the ducks sound like a great <laughs> yeah. idea yes. if not then something else will come along i'm sure i think something that's just going to make you smile and tea does make you smile without oh, a doubt um, and it's like you say you could probably get that and then when there's dark times what's just going to make you just feel better yeah. <laughs> ducks and tea definitely <laughs> um and one final question before I, I let you go um why should we cycle around the world on a tandem bicycle and break the world record together because like cycling around the world is just the ultimate isn't it you know it's something I would love to do what on a huge adventure um and if it was me there would have to be like obviously a big sort of performance goal of something so I think going for the world record like you say you're traveling by bike so you will see so much and you will meet so many amazing people but having that drive and having that whatever it is I guess your reason to get on your bike every day um and clearly you know you you want that world record so you're just gonna you're gonna be hurting you're gonna be struggling it's maybe the weather might turn or whatever it is um but you've got that focus of that world record that's going to push you on and push you on and that's your goal um i'm very excited about your world record ride <laughs> so i can't wait to be following and i will be cheering you on and literally virtually pushing you on um all the way to go and smash that record but i think it's yeah it's something i would love to do um so that's a good enough reason i think to go and do it <laughs> oh, amazing thank you so much mel you've been absolutely tremendous it's been great to chat oh, to you thank you for having me. <laughs> um and yeah i hope i hope that we bump into each other on the on the road before we head off as well yeah yes we definitely should <laughs> we definitely should <laughs> yeah i don't know if, well it depends where you are in the world whether I, I'd, I'd meet you at some point you never know <laughs> catch up with us yeah <laughs> yeah you, you never know <laughs> you'd be very welcome to <laughs> Bye.